Beat by Beat. I'm Curtis Rutherford. I interviewed a whole bunch of different improvisers and then edited together chunks of those interviews to investigate different aspects of improv one piece at a time. This is episode 17, Musical Improv. Musical improv shows are, in a way, a very specific form of genre-based improv. Musical improv is an improvised show in the specific form of a musical. This may mean a single improvised song off of a suggestion, but for longer long-form musical shows, it typically takes the form of a full narrative musical. Individual scenes will generally start with a normal scene, dialogue sans music, and then the musician or musicians will at some point start playing, which will cue the performers that it's time to go into a song. The accompanist improvises the music, the singers improvise the words, and the whole thing is made up. I love musical improv, and generally so do audiences. It's fun, and when done moderately well, it's incredibly impressive. It's almost like a cheat, like a gimmick, which is possibly why some people, assholes mostly, look down on musical improv. But there is something inherently funny in all improv about making things up on the spot. Something about the fact that the audience knows you're figuring this out at most slightly faster than they are that makes improvised comedy get a bigger reaction than it would if the same words were written on the page or the same actions rehearsed and acted out on the stage. It's an affordance that all improvised comedy trades on. Musical improv takes that and adds the very dumb fun of seeing someone suddenly break into song. That's really fun. First up is Ashley Ward. By the way, I realized while editing this that I have been mispronouncing the word accompanist as accompanist. So that's something. Here's Ashley. If you were telling somebody who's done a bunch of improv, Mm -hmm. you're throwing them into a musical improv show. What would be their like... Like, let's say five minute intro of like, okay, or 30 second intro of this is what I want you to to worry about or to focus on. What I would tell them is don't be afraid of the music. Don't be afraid to make big choices because big choices get you a song. And when you get the song, go with emotion. Sing about how you feel more than what's happening or plotty type pieces of information Mm -hmm. because the words will come to you more easily if you're basing it on an emotional experience and the way you uh, the way you feel Mm -hmm. as most songs are about emotion you know (laughs) and we can sort of speak extemporaneously and more lyrically and poetically the way songs feel Mm -hmm. about emotions than about like we're going to the store there's lots of things there (laughs) you know like that becomes like you start getting in your head and then it gets trickier so the first thing you mentioned is don't be afraid of the music what does that mean Basically, I think some people, when they hear the music start playing, they're suddenly like going to panic mode. And it's like, oh my God, I'm going to have to sing now. This is a nightmare. What will I, how will I do it? When will I come in? And if you can feel comfortable with the music, it's, it makes your life so much better. It's just like anything. It's like with regular improv too. Mm-hmm. If you, if you're immediately panicking, that is a far worse position to be in than if you're like, great, I'm just going to come out. All I have to think about is the first thing I say and listen to the next thing. And then the next thing I say, you know, like break it down into bite sized pieces instead of like, I have to sing a whole song right now. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, I'm just going to, all I have to do is open my mouth and sing a word or a phrase or a, Ooh, I can do anything. Right. Because I think, like, you don't have to be a great singer to do musical improv. You you asked me earlier about, like, people who are 
advanced improvisers doing a Baby Wants Candy show, we wouldn't throw them in right away, but we definitely have pulled people into shows, into rehearsals and things, and then put them in shows who are improv people and not musical necessarily. The best musical improvisers are great improvisers Mm -hmm. first. And as long as they're not afraid of singing and of the music and they're not going to sort of figure out a way to get out of (laughs) the song, then they're totally okay. Never mind. I was thinking of something else. (laughs) Oh, I have to leave. (laughs) Like, wait, the song just started. (laughs) You can't do that. So yeah, that that's mainly what it is. Don't be afraid of the fact that you're about to make up a song on the spot. Mm-hmm. It's easier that it's easier than you think, honestly. And you've probably done it in your life. You've right. probably like sung parody lyrics to a commercial jingle or a real song at some point or just mm-hmm. made up a song that you sing to your dog when you're feeding them or something, you know. So you've done it in your life in the same way that we've all done improv in our sure. lives, you know. You also mentioned not being afraid of big choices, which feels like true for all improv, but especially in musical improv. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, A lot of that is, you know, yes, you can sing a song about like your grocery list and something really like low stakes and mundane, but it's going to be easier for you to sing. And the payoff of the song is generally going to be better if there are some stakes and emotional choices tied to what you're singing about um because most songs have that you know so so you want we want to lean into the thing that we're playing off of Mm -hmm. we're improvising a real thing musicals are real like they exist and (laughs) people write them and we're trying to do it in an improvised way so we want to sort of honor honor that now that being said there's a small percentage of songs that are just like throwaway ding dong right weirdo songs and that's okay too, but when people are first learning, you want to st- that's where they want to go because I think like oh good, I don't have to like really get into it. I can just sort of like say funny words and make right. a weird voice and it'll be great. So you want to steer people towards the thing that's really the bread and butter of it, which is emotionally invested songs. The the other part that I want to ask about is the kind of connection then between the performers and the accompanist. Yeah, it's a it's a really cool connection, honestly. The I think like the best musical improvisers understand that their accompanist is making offers the way every other improviser is. So you might be in a scene and you the scene has a certain kind of feeling to you and then the musicians make a choice that's like maybe not what you thought. Mm-hmm. And you have, in that moment, you can go like, well, that's not what I thought it was going to be, so I'm just going to sing the song the way I wanted to sing it. Or you can go like, oh, what a cool offer. Not what I expected. A little bit of a surprise. How fun uh, to send me down this other road. Which I think, if you couldn't tell from the way I phrased it, is the better option. Right. And vice versa. I think sometimes the musicians, you can tell when a musician is invested and when they're checked out. When they're sort of just like, "Eh, I'm just going to play something or Mm -hmm. when they're just like not feeling a scene and sort of like, I'm not sure what to play for these people. I know I should start playing something, but I'm just not feeling it, which honestly is not always on them. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's a thing where you just are not bringing it in the scene. And they're like, you know, those are the times where it's like, just sweep that scene. (laughs) That's not getting a song. If you're three minutes into the scene and you haven't gotten a song, that scene should be over now. Yeah. Because it would require such a big move yeah. or turn to get to that point. And that. you're going to, now you've got, you're looking at a three minutes of scene and then three to four minutes of song. So now you've got a seven minute 
piece <laughs> right. in your show that might not have needed a song or deserved a song ultimately. You kind of are earning a song from, mm-hmm. from the accompanist. They know they're, they're wanting to play one for you. But you're sort of – that's part of what the big choices thing is, is letting them know, like, I've got something here. that I've, The only way I can talk about it is to sing about it. Because right. that's what happens in musicals. People start, don't just start singing for no reason. It's because whatever's happening in the course of that musical has pushed them to the point where they have to sing now. That's the only other choice they have. They can't talk anymore. Um, which, again, is like 93% the case in, in sure. every song. There's a little wiggle room in right. there where it's just like, oh, this is just some wacky. This is the broom song. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. It's not because they love brooms. It's just like, brooms, brooms, right. brooms are so fun. <laughs> just like, oh, we need a break. Mm-hmm. Too much emotions. That was Ashley Ward. Up next is Morgan Phillips. What do you love to see in musical improv? I love to see musical improv that does not coast on the fact that it has this great gimmick of music, great scene work, and then actually good music. Right. That's really all I want to see. Yeah. And I'm actually a little bored with sort of textbook narrative stuff, too. So I I have particular ways I like to do narrative within musical improv. Mm -hmm. But I'm satisfied just seeing like a funny scene that goes into a good song in any context, narrative or not. And so what are your particular, like, this is what you want to see narrative-wise? I want to see a narrative where it's not filling in sort of a cookie-cutter idea of you have a protagonist and then the protagonist must do this. And and I understand and I accept the sort of Joseph Campbell, like, underpinnings of all great stories. Like, there are certain things that happen. When I'm coaching musical improv, I like to get people to follow what they're interested in at any given point. Right. Whether that be the sort of protagonist, antagonist, charm scene kind of thing. Uh-huh. Or maybe there's something really interesting that happens in the first scene, and we're not allowed to follow that because of some sort of structure. I, I, I want to follow what's interesting. Right. Uh, so maybe it becomes more of a slice of life kind of thing that we kind of draw a narrative out of in our own minds afterwards. Or maybe it's just a really unconventional narrative. But mm-hmm. as, as long as you're following what seems interesting uh, scene to scene, I think that's the, that's the kind of story I want to see. Which is seems closer to what a writer would actually do, right? Of like, oh, let me follow the things that came alive as I, as they, we were creating it. I would think so, yeah, unless they were a hack, basically. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So then musically, what are great songs? What are some of the... It's <laughs> kind of a broad question, but... What are great songs? Uh, well, one of the things that I enjoy about musical improv doing it is it's a little bit more of kind of a craft than mm-hmm. regular improv in in the sense that you really can practice doing practice improvising songs and kind of master the skills there's always room for improvement and you can have different levels of artistry within it but you can master the basic forms of the sort of pop song formats they tend to be the verse chorus song tagline song that sort of thing to the point where no effort needs to be put into that. You just naturally right. do that, especially with the amazing piano players or other instru- you know other instruments that are accompanying you. Half of musical improv is getting a good accompanist who can <laughs> make yeah. you look good. So once you've kind of mastered those formats through repetition, then it's just a matter of uh, creating interesting melodies and repeating things in interesting ways and having the content of the lyrical content of the songs not just be desperately looking for a rhyme but something Mm -hmm. that actually is interesting to listen to Mm -hmm. what are some of the ways that you aim to this is more interesting to listen to than 
the surface level rhyme. Well, I, I did uh, a musical improv group at UCB for a while. It uh, started off being called Diamond Lion, mm-hmm. and then uh, we changed our name to Cosmos, Cosmos after right. a while. Uh, so we were doing it within a UCB context mm-hmm. where we're still looking to play game. And the thing that I was aiming to do, at least in, the, in, in that context, was have the song just be an extension of whatever game was in the scene. Right. So whereas you might be playing a game uh, within a, a normal improv scene and looking for more ways to play it, maybe you go to the environment to find a way, a new way to play that game. Uh, you basically go to a song and find new ways to play that game with the song itself. Mm-hmm. So if it's a particular dynamic between the characters as a game, that manifests itself in the song. If it's a philosophy, then maybe the chorus of your song is that philosophy and the verses are more basically playing the mm-hmm. game of that philosophy. If it's true, what would I, what would I think? And those are the those are right. lyrics. So that's, I mean, that's one thing that I think yeah. I'd like to see in the content of the songs. Uh, other than that, just sort of what, anything I'd like to see in an improv scene. Interesting, fun, surprising discoveries. I'm not against rhyming. I think rhyming sure. is, is, is fun and kind of pleasing to hear. But I like it when it's not, when the entire purpose of the lines is not to find a rhyme. Right. That's just a nice little decoration. Yeah. That sometimes drives you to finding interesting things that you wouldn't have said otherwise that you then maybe need to justify. But uh, again, I, d- I don't like musical improv that just rides on the gimmick of we can get away with anything because right. it's musical improv. Right. Yeah, getting all of that texture in a scene that we would normally get just through good scene work right. is what like I feel like people remember most when they remember a song from musical improv is, oh, you sang that song about how much you loved you know, Monopoly pieces. It's like they get that. They have yeah. that feeling of this is what this person wanted, not, oh, you rhymed whatever these two words you rhymed hat and cat or that's a sure. terrible example but no one would ever use that yeah, yeah, yeah. okay they would they would probably say hat and cat i think one of the things that's missing from a lot of improv that people really respond to is emotional commitment mm-hmm. and obviously musical improv is great for that too or it really pays off in musical improv to pay attention to that yeah for me if i am emotionally committed to something in a scene in a musical improv scene there's apps it just feels so natural to go into a song and there's none of that feeling of like okay i have to sing a song now it just like that's what music that's what musical theater often is like mm-hmm. you, you get to the point where you can't bottle Contain, up this emotion anymore yeah. and you, you have no choice but to express it in the song or at least it's the, it's the sort of ideal of it and sort of the thing that we assume is true in musical improv it's pretty absurd thing on the face of it obviously right. just, to just start singing but I think it's refreshing for audiences to see musical improv sometimes because the scenes tend to have more emotional commitment in mm-hmm. them because it's driving towards that song and then the songs have this kind of emotional richness to them and I don't know I don't even know if the if the audiences even realize that they like that right. uh, but what that's the reason they like it but I think sometimes it hits a little harder than just plain improv because it goes to emotional extremes we might not get to otherwise because you then have to tie a, tie in both of those things of not only there's a game of or whatever's fun about the scene but that's often very closely tied or sometimes in addition to that like and this is what this character feels and then tying those things together it does like you just instantly are drawn into this story yeah that's great i mean because and it also then you don't have the feeling of like yes we found a game and now we shall find another way to play exactly. a game, and now we shall find another way you're driven by that emotion to, to naturally find more ways to play mm-hmm. the game. Did you study musical theater or anything like that? I was a regular theater major okay. and did some musicals in college and, and in high school. I started off doing short form in New York at a group with a group called Chicago City Limits okay. and started doing, yeah, it was uh, 
It's a little trick. They, uh-huh. uh, years ago, this group came from Chicago, maybe 30-plus years ago, and kept the name Chicago City Limits because since the time they, were, they right. were just from Chicago, and that made sense. But I think over the years, it sort of benefited them to be associated with the sort of mecca of improv right. that Chicago is. But they're now – they're still around – but they do short form, and one of the short form things we did was uh, an improvised musical as okay. part of the show. So that's where I started uh, with Frank Spitznagel, who's oh, really yeah. sort of the the godfather of musical improv mm-hmm. in New York City, and Travis Plager, who was the touring company pianist mm-hmm. for Chicago City Limits. So that's where I first I learned from them. What do you notice from having people like them as an accompanist? Because you mentioned, like, it just puts you at ease. You're, yeah. It's much easier. Um, honestly, I got really lazy because I can really depend. If it's a good accompanist, I don't pay attention to the accompanist at all. I just start singing and sort of trust that they're there. And I'm, I'm hearing them subconsciously yeah. and consciously on, on some level. <laughs> right. I'm not totally not hearing them at all. But I think when you're starting off, there's sort of a give and take with the piano player where, like, you're kind of maybe even looking at them and kind mm-hmm. of trying to listen for what they're doing. If, I, if what I'm doing has a sort of structure to it, they can absolutely follow that and lead me a little bit. But it takes all the pressure off. And yeah. it's really, yeah, it feels like I'm not paying any attention to the piano player at all when it's a great piano player. Yeah. As, as if we've pre-planned it, which I guess is sort of the ideal right. of, of improv is to make it seem yeah. pre-planned. And especially musical improv, I feel like, has that reaction more from the audience. Yeah. Because we can rely on these, like, opening number, closing number, tropes a little bit, but making it surprising of all of us coming in at once, or if it's any group number especially. People go nuts for that in yeah. musical improv. Yeah. Harmonizing is super fun, too. Just it's, it's fun to do, and it's impressive for audiences. I have years and years of uh, acapella singing experience that I, I don't usually talk about publicly. Right. But that one benefit of that was sort of spontaneous harmonies, which... Uh, uh, are really fun to do because um, yeah. it, it, it all the more makes it uh, seem pre-planned yeah. or like impossible that it could be spontaneous. Yeah, that's one of those things. I have I have almost no musical theater or any experience at all. So like anytime I do musical stuff, there's all of that music stuff that I know as an instrumentalist, but I that I can't do vocally or like I'm very stumbling vocally huh. that blows me away of like when people can just instantly harmonize with someone else where it's like, I'm lucky if I can hit that same note or sure. whatever. And, and, you know, there's it's always going to be fun to see sort of virtuosic performers do musical improv. The example I always use is Eliza Skinner, who is a sort of can do it backwards and forwards. Yeah. Uh, better than any, anybody. But there are tons of great musical improvisers who you would not think of as like a singer-singer. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just commitment and understanding the idea of melody, but not necessarily, I mean, you know, just like there are great singers in pop music or, or other forms of music that you would not think of as a singer-singer, like a, you know, a Bob a Dylan Bob or whoever. Yeah. The feeling and the commitment to it is uh, really pays off in mm-hmm. musical improv as well. So it's, it's just gravy to have that sort of... Uh, fancy stuff going into it. Uh, what do you wish you saw more of in musical improv? Kind of that idea of good, just good improv and good music. Mm-hmm. It really is seductive to know that you can ju- you can half-ass it in yeah. musical improv. You really can. You can get away with it. The audience is just going to be blown away by the fact that you're, you're singing and there's somebody 
make there's an you know there's an instrument playing and you're singing with them where do that how do they do that it's like a parlor trick mm-hmm. and you can i think it's probably pretty tempting to not push yourself beyond that because audiences are they're they're satisfied with just oh they were doing an improv scene and now they're singing that's crazy right uh so i wish i saw a little bit more <laughs> i wish it was a little better yeah i think there's and it's it's miles in a way better than it was is that a phrase miles in a way sure uh, it's miles in a way better than miles away. Miles away. Know. It's miles from here. Yeah. Uh, it's a lot better now than it was even five years ago, ten years ago. The the magnet and the pit both have dedicated musical programs. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, especially the magnet, I guess, is ha- is really integrated into its into its sort of. I, f- the feeling I get from it is not treated differently than yeah. the regular improv teams there. It's all part of the same package. And that didn't just didn't exist yeah. in the past. It was like there was like three or four indie musical improv groups around, and that that was it. Yeah. And now there are you know there are theaters with multiple house musical improv teams, and visiting you know visiting groups like Baby Wants Candy and people like that have brought uh, does the idea that you can get really really good at yeah. it. Yeah, and it's not just kind of this like bastardized uh for lack of a better word like bastardized stepchild of improv right. where it kind of had that like feeling for a while where it was like this is a little better than short form sure. but we're we're not that and i still understand i totally understand and and somewhat agree with improvisers who do non-musical improv uh-huh. uh is there is there a non-insulting term like as i tend to call it like like regular improv yeah and musical improv uh non-musical improv I understand when they they kind of laugh at the idea of musical improv yeah. or look down on it, or especially if they get beaten in cage match by a musical improv group, which I mean, happens last a week, lot. Yeah, yeah. last oh, week that, we got beaten. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you're not alone. You're yeah, not alone. Yeah, yeah. And I I totally understand that, but I think that is maybe a reaction to or delayed reaction to bad musical improv we've mm-hmm. seen in the past. If you have good improvisers doing good improv and then singing good songs, there's nothing you can really yeah you know, find a fault with yeah. That was Morgan Phillips. Up next is Jessica Morgan. The first thing I want to talk about is musical improv. Okay, I guess. So why do you enjoy doing musical improv? Well, I got my degree in musical theater. And then when I moved to New York, I was auditioning for musicals. And it was just completely destroying my soul. And that's when I started to do improv. I started doing improv at UCB. And I was having a lot of fun, but I did not feel very good at it. It felt like cerebrally I was getting it, but it was just not connecting from my head to my body, my execution, and that was really frustrating to me. And then I took a musical improv class here with Amber Petty, and I was like, oh, my strength in musicality and understanding musical form makes me feel stronger as an improviser. And I think that I grew the most as an improviser when I got to do musical improv because that's musicals are what I was good at and I understood. So that's why I started doing it. Because you already had that form and it was, oh, I can see more easily when things are breaking from that form Mm -hmm. than when everything is being invented at once. Yeah. And I mean, very selfishly, it made me feel unique Mm because that was, I mean, people outside of comedy and outside of improv, you know, they always say, I just don't know how you do it. But it felt like I finally had a place where within comedy and with improv, people could be like, I don't know how you do it. And I was like, yeah, right, right. And also, even if I was not doing good improv, at least I was singing well. I kind of rested on that for a long time. And then it became more important for me to do songs with game. Mm -hmm. But for a while, I was like, I'm just 
plodding through this song, mm-hmm. but at least it sounds good. And that gave me the confidence to make more mistakes. Right. So then with that shift of like doing songs with more game, like did you just decide this, I need to push this more? And how do you keep pushing yourself for that? I got put on a musical house team at the pit and they, it was called them and it was the best. And it was just this weird little engine that could. And I think that we just fit together so wonderfully and made such bold, brave choices that it never felt like it was going to be traditional musical improv. Mm -hmm. So we got to the point, like after two years of improvising together, that we started doing um, like opera La Ronde's. And it was insanity, and it was so hard. But we, I think the the short and long of it is, we like felt comfortable breaking everything apart. Okay. And at that point, it was just a pile of rubble. And I was like, I've had so much fun turning everything into just ash, like nothing, like having no rules. Mm-hmm. That it became like, okay, let's make the phoenix rise again. Let's figure out how we can piece it back together and make these songs not only good songs, but have game to them. Mm-hmm. And as you know, because I know you do musical improv, when you're out there singing, it is almost doubly easy to just start spat, like spatting stuff because you're like, the song is not going to stop. Right. And so relying on some kind of building blocks of unusual thing, mm-hmm. it's so important and it makes it so much easier to do. Right. Yeah. And so then when taking it apart, it was these are the building blocks that were most important. And one of them was I want to have that like I Mm want to have that game. I Mm want to have that up front. Was there anything else where you guys realized this is what we really love as a team? With them, with my my first musical improv team I was on that really made me feel like this is so crazy. It really made me like feel special and feel Uh like we can do something so fun here. I mean, any character was up for grabs and we just created these insane insane worlds that everyone bought into immediately and that was the first time because I think at that point I was in 301 here at UCB and I coach a lot of 301 now and I know how it feels you're so in your head and you are working it out and that's fine but you're maybe not the most wildly eagerly supportive scene partner Mm -hmm. at that point at least I know I wasn't but to be on a team that any choice that was made was just like so supported and there weren't consequences musical improv at the pit was brand new so there wasn't really hierarchy it was just like we need teams so that when we start teaching musical improv here they have something to see right so it was kind of like do whatever you want and that was wild wild west go for it exactly it was wild wild west and it was it's just wild west is the phrase wild 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 west wild movie (laughs) i don't know why i added an extra wild you mentioned like relying on song structure and i find i do the opposite Mm -hmm. because i'm so bad because i don't have any like musical theater experience at all Anytime I go into it, I feel like I rely so much on game and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Because I do, because for me, the scary part is the musical stuff. Mm-hmm. I think that, yeah, I started with knowing the structure, and that was a bigger gift to me. Because, so for example, we're going deep real fast, mm-hmm. a back tagline song. Okay. So if it's line, 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 mm-hmm. line, 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 line my heart feels sunny inside. Mm -hmm. We know that that's the thesis you're getting to, so you can explore up until that point and then get there. And then the second time you sing that verse, you heighten those stakes in those three available spots. Mm -hmm. 
and then you end with my heart feels sunny inside and then your bridge is usually the an- antithetical thought to that right. like why you don't feel sunny inside or someone who makes you not feel sunny inside this is such a basic example and then that third time you you know you hammer it home and you it's your third beat of the song right and it's it's not that different than any other structure for improv it's just in song for me coming at it with game and this is all this is Always my problem with tagline songs, mm-hmm. and with chorus songs too, <laughs> is the first line I say is the thesis. Yeah. I will just immediately say, my heart is sunny inside. Uh, come up with new mm-hmm. moves. Okay, this is why, this is why, this is why. That's why, Curtis, you got to practice uh, setup and payoff. I know. You got to practice your setup and payoff. It's going to, I promise you, it's going to help you out. It, it really does. Setting up, and that helps with rhyme, mm-hmm. which is something I do not promote i don't think that rhyme does anything in musical improv that the fact that you're doing musical improv doesn't already accomplish sure it's already astonishing that we're doing (laughs) it so the fact that you're rhyming yeah it's great but like if it's gonna take you so far away from what you're trying to say then it's completely not worth it if you can get that rhyme in there that's great but that's something i've been practicing more recently is set up and pay off and rhyme just so it feels less like an obstacle and more like a tool that's available. Sure. And then you're deliberately using it because it is the whole idea of any song is let's build to that idea Mm -hmm. rather than here's the idea. Uh, uh, By the way, Mm -hmm. uh, okay, these are all the things. Well, there are frontline taglines that do the same thing. Somewhere Mm -hmm. Over the Rainbow is a frontline tagline song. And it does the exact same thing. But I think, and I was talking about this yesterday, Mm -hmm. (laughs) I think that front tagline songs are better for a ballad Because it's like, it's a feeling, and then we kind of explore the feeling instead of building up to a more more important thesis. Right. And Somewhere Over the Rainbow, she's musing. She's just talking about what could be. Mm -hmm. But the stakes are not super high. It's a beautiful song, but she's just kind of hanging out on a fence talking about what could be. And I think it's also easier in terms of a ballad if you have the the tagline at the front, because I can't think of a time that it feels easy to do a front tagline that you feel good about. Because you're right, it's sometimes the first thing that comes out and mm-hmm. it's like, shit, that's my tagline for the next two minutes. Right. Better make it count. <laughs> right. But knowing those structures makes you even better at yeah. knowing the, the ones that don't have them. Because, you know, you gotta learn the game to break it. Yeah, you yeah, gotta yeah. You gotta know the rules to break them. And I mean, like, 95% of the time, I do not do a, a form. Or, mm-hmm. like, a perfect form. Like... I think the biggest issue that I have is I will often, I will, because taglines are harder for me. Mm -hmm. I think they're harder for a lot of people because it's what we hear less of. And we don't spend as much time on it because the verse course is so, such a good building block. What I will often do is sometimes try to do a tagline and kind of half confidently end that tagline and then turn that into a chorus. Okay. So, like, if I were to do ba 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 ba, my heart feels sunny inside. My heart feels sunny, and and then turn that into a big. And it's like, well, I just I kind of chickened out on my own attempt. I know you used five lines, which could have been four lines or one line or one line exactly. That was Jessica. The rest of this episode, by the way, is just Ashley, Jessica, and Morgan. Here again with more on rhyming in songs is Ashley. Okay, so musical one hundred and one, you're told. Don't worry about rhyming. Don't yes. worry about all that stuff, right? Yeah. Does rhyming come back? Do you feel like it's one of those? Absolutely. Absolutely. It becomes your friend. The reason 
that I think people tend to take it off the table early on is people get so caught up in the rhyming that it becomes you, you become a slave to the rhyme. And so you're, you're just sort of spouting nonsense to serve the rhyme as opposed to the rhyme is serving what you want to say. So it's a little bit about getting comfortable with just putting words to music and melody to that and singing it and all those pieces of it without having to worry about rhyming. And mm-hmm. then once you feel comfortable in that, that's a skill that you can work on and get better at. I think some people are inherently good at it, just like we're out of the womb, just right. throwing those mad rhymes, uh, which must have been delightful for their parents. <laughs> uh, I am not a person who is who is that way. It, it was a little. It's a little hard for me. I still work on it. Mm-hmm. And when you see someone who's great at it, like a Ross Bryant, for example, or a Zach Reno, or a Jess McKenna, you it makes you want to be better at it because they're good at it not at the expense of what they're saying. They're good at it to the addition of what they're saying, Mm -hmm. which is when I think it makes the most impact. Yeah. They can get ahead just enough to have that rhyme ready for them rather than catching up to a rhyme. Absolutely. Like what they try and do, I mean, because I've literally asked them like, hey, help me think about some rhyming stuff. And what they do is basically whatever the scenario that they're in, they try and think of what their payoff rhyme is. So what's the best thing? If the subject was chemistry and you wanted your payoff rhyme to be Bunsen burner, then you would think of all the things that rhyme with burner so that you could get to the place where at the very end of the couplet or the end of the line, right. you have rhymed Bunsen burner with like, you write great novels, they are page turners, I'm just sitting here lighting up Bunsen burners. You know, like right. that has a better impact than if you start with, I'm sitting here lighting Bunsen burners, I'm at home uh, reading novels, <laughs> they are such page turners. Like that's... It's it's not on topic as right. much, and so like the on topic thing is your payoff, right? That you want to aim towards, and it's a little bit more surprising to see somebody divert from what we expect, and then oh crap, they exactly. came back and they were expecting, yeah, exactly, yeah. You have that like surprise payoff, right. right? You mentioned that you asked them like like what could I do to work on it? What what are those things that either you do to work on it, and what you mentioned to other people when they say. Yeah, I mean, one big one, which is where I have a big hole, is listening to hip hop and rap. I just don't. Mm-hmm. I'm, I just don't happen to be a, a hip hop or rap fan. I should cultivate that. I'm also just like one of those weird people. I don't know if this is weird. Maybe this is normal. That as I've gotten older, I just don't listen to as much new music anymore. And now I live in LA, so I'm in a car a lot. In New York, you know, I was never in a car. And so I listen to the radio a lot, but I almost exclusively listen to NPR <laughs> instead of like trying to learn new music. Right. I don't know what Which, that and is. And Terry Gross does fewer rhymes than. <laughs> yeah, you know, she's not throwing out yeah. bad rhymes like, like I thought she would. But uh, yeah, so that's one like big one is sort of hearing the way hip hop is, rap is, and, and the different styles and approaches to mm-hmm. rhyming and rhythms and cadences and all those things that's one big one that i should do more of the other one is just do it all the time so like Mm -hmm. in the car this is a thing that ross and zach have said to me when i've asked him about it just like look at stuff you know like see a billboard read what the sign is and think of like a bunch of rhymes with whatever the sign makes you think of and then just do some rhyming couplets as Mm -hmm. you're going try and rap it while you're in the car and that's actually really helpful i do it a lot in the shower (laughs) not that i have a lot of things to see there but i'll just like sometimes i'll have my husband yell a suggestion (laughs) he doesn't love that (laughs) 
<laughs> and other times I'll just like think of something and just do it. But yeah, just any time that you have a chance to sort of focus on it and practice it. Because just like it is a skill that you can improve on. Mm-hmm. And if you don't work on it and you're not great at it, you will never be great at it. Right. That was Ashley. Up next is Jessica. She mentions the dearly departed Chelsea stage. This interview was recorded last year before the UCB Chelsea Theater closed and UCB Hell's Kitchen opened to replace it. Here's Jessica. What are some of your favorite things to do in musical improv? I love being a villain. I just love, I I also think that there's just more freedom to be large characters in musical improv. Yeah. Which I, I love that so much. And... Especially villains are great for that. Villains are so fun for that. And and Rumble Teaser especially now has been such a gift to me where it's just been so fun to get to be these huge, insane characters. And so I would say that. And then also I love initiating dance. <laughs> yeah. I love it. I love it. I think it is undervalued. I think that it is... You can set it up as a structure that makes sense just like a song, and Mm -hmm. people can join in when they're ready. I'm working on a project right now, Blank the Musical, and a lot of what we're talking about is like the very improv-y looking dancing, where it's like we all join in at the same time. Mm -hmm. But when you go see a musical, it's very rarely that, especially if the choreography is in a song that isn't like a big, you know, a big like, huge dance number but right. there is still dance in it what you often see is one character initiating and everyone kind of looking like whoa what's that or i don't know about that right like footloose is a perfect example yeah. of like we don't dance in this town but ren dances and then you get one adding in and then you get two and that gives you the opportunity to watch someone set a movement you slowly add in someone else slowly adds in all of a sudden you've built to you know everyone on stage dancing and doing it perfectly because they've allowed themselves the time to watch but not watch in a way that's like backline watching active actively participating in watching and that like whoa that very musical thing is that like active watching of like oh my goodness i'm clearly here in the scene and invested yeah i'm not gonna do it yet yeah and it's not it's not parody it's it's pastiche it's like Mm -hmm. honoring it so hard that it's heightened right and that feels more true than being like all right, we're going to half-fast do a kick line all together because that's what we think would work. Mm-hmm. And like it's and people laugh because it's like, oh, these silly improvisers, they don't dance. Or that's made up so it looks half okay. It doesn't have to look half okay. Yeah. It can look great. Yeah. But yeah, I love setting dance. I love setting dance. Like during a song? Mm-hmm. So like a dance break in a verse, mm-hmm. chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, chorus. No one said there couldn't a chorus had to be sung. Like it yeah. can be danced. Or even the the dance, uh, like at the top of, I find that I will often set it with more traditional musical improv, like at the top of the opening number. Mm -hmm. Like someone comes out and they sing that first chorus, set the chorus. We all join in. I will probably try to set some kind of dance for that. Mm -hmm. I love it. And like weird formations too. I love weird formations. Because it's so simple and it immediately, it's like when everybody comes together on a chorus or something. Mm -hmm. It just seems magical. Everybody's listening and knows to do that, mm-hmm. but it is very like purposeful and it's like building a group game. Mm-hmm. How can we just incrementally everybody agree on this one thing? I think that it's also so refreshing to see how much more thoughtful people are on stage of their where they are on stage in musical improv. Yeah. Because you know there's the possibility of dance and so people are more on the balls of their feet and 
it, you're more likely to use the architecture of your space in an interesting way, which mm-hmm. I am all about. I get very, very bored with how we use Chelsea. The The Chelsea theater space is a thrust. We have three available yeah. sides, two doors. I mean, you shouldn't, but you can climb over that back wall. You have three incredible VOMs that if you use five, technically five, because you've got the right. three VOMs and then the two aisles on uh, near the back line. Mm-hmm. And if you know how to project, that all can be your stage. Yeah. And I don't mean it in like a sleep no more, like watch our scene over here, but like be brave enough to use the thing that isn't the rectangle sure. in the middle of the room. But also as a big fan of immersive theater and sleep no more, there's nothing <laughs> wrong with doing that. Necessar- is, I think that the problem with that would be is if we were, if I were to set the idea that it's like, okay, so we're going to use the VOMs, that there's immediately this mysterious smokiness to mm-hmm. it. And it's like, there doesn't have to be, it yeah. could be something else over there. Yeah. But it helps you think about like the best scenes that you can recall easily. They typically had some kind of interesting stage picture or took took place in an interesting way in the architecture of the space. And yeah, that follows much more clearly from musical improv since so many musicals do that already. Yeah. So much of what we remember from opening numbers is, oh, this is how they set up mm-hmm. whatever. Mm-hmm. What are what are some of your favorite things that you like when your teammates do on musical improv? I've officially been on Rumble Teaser now for a few months now, and I was subbing in them for a long, subbing with them for a long time. But the cage match run of Rumble Teaser, just watching, I mean, Aaron and Jeff and Josh just be themselves on stage. The the magic of being able to be yourself on stage, but also heighten it enough that we don't think that you're undercutting the the drama of musical. Yeah, like that's so great. Also, Jeff, Jeff Hiller one time initiated, he he just kind of like very openly just yelled out. He was like, oh, this is like that trio number from nine to five. He just said that in the middle of a set. And the audience laughed because he, they recognized that he was calling something out. But he gave a major gift to set up this like very stylized moment. Mm-hmm. Sure, it wasn't like super subtle, but like. He was comfortable, comfortable enough, you know, just being like, "I want to do this, so I'm yeah. just gonna say it, and then we'll all do it." Yeah, yeah, that was really, really fun. I also love it. I love when other people play villains. I just more villains on stage, like more truly bad characters, please. Because also, a villain is thinking of it now. A villain is the essence of what game is. In that, a villain has an inherently idiotic or wrong belief Mm -hmm. that they believe Mm -hmm. and so much of it is like these this is why i need to steal souls or shut down the town fair or whatever it is they love something or hate something too much and like if you just double down that's a game yeah that's it that's all you need and and i think the physicality of a villain yeah anytime my teammates on anything that i've done with musical improv like really embody physically a characteristic or like oh my gosh like a style of like golden age musical like a golden age musical leading man is different than a you know um what's a different example uh than like dear like a dear evan hansen leading man or like a spring awakening leading man so golden age being like the earliest age of musical theater there's is that like 50s 
Fifties, forties, thirties. Like okay. uh, the first technical one uh, was sh- like Showboat, and, okay. and so from there to like Rogers and Hammerstein-y kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. That like that's like hyper masculinity, like 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 barrel chest out, elbows out, take up as much space on stage as possible, right. big booming deep voice. So like that, if I see someone walk on stage with their elbows out and their chest up, and they're using like their deepest baritone, mm-hmm. and it's it's so clear to me that you're going to initiate a certain genre right. of of musical improv whereas if you come on stage and you like brush your hair in front of your face and you're like elbows to knees it's like okay this is like spring awakening it's going to be that angstier it, 2000ish yeah yeah and i mean all you know there's a leading man ingenue villain in almost all of these stories but they just they they're the the lens on them is so different in each of these eras, and it's a shame not to use it and to just stand yeah. on stage and kind of say what to be yourself. But I don't know. I just love characters. With the movie, that so much of it is getting that very refined. This is exactly what genre we're doing. Mm-hmm. And because I don't, again, since I don't know musicals as well, I don't pick up on that in musical. But yeah, when you see somebody, oh, I know we are doing this version of a Western rather than a 1990s Western yes. or a late 2000s or a later in 2000s Western, whatever. I would love if there were more of that emphasis that the movie has on mm. musical improv because it has the exact same capability of it, right. it can be that. It can be that obvious. Yeah. Maybe not to the entire audience. Maybe not to all the performers, but you can feel it. You can feel something that's different. You yeah. can feel Showboat, and you can feel uh, Hamilton, and you know that they're different. Like, and it makes those next moves easy. If like, yes. oh, hey, we are doing this number like 9 to 5. If you guys know you're already there, mm-hmm. oh, great. I know the, the, the template of that. Exactly. And then you just can start throwing things in. And start deviating or messing with that te- exactly. template or following it. Exactly. Necessary. Yeah. I, yeah, I love that. Anytime I see a, a show that, that lives in a in an era or in a style of musical improv, oh, I'm on board. Yeah. I'm so on board. <laughs> That's the when I was in uh, Amber's musical ASP a couple mm-hmm. of years ago. We talked a lot about like doing homework and that kind of stuff. And some of the homework was just, A, it was analyzing dance numbers. Because that was a big thing of just how do we all simply get on board with this style of, yeah, one person going on, everybody in a line, and how do we make that look good? And some of it was just like, hey, everybody watch these clips of musicals. And Amber would send like lists and lists and lists <laughs> as a huge musical nerd yeah. of watch all these. We can do this style. We can do this style. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. I just got lost in thought because I remember specifically hearing you talk about all that homework you did. The song, the like pattern number that you did in one of your musical improv shows that was Cans, Cans, Cans. Yep. So hearing you talk about all the homework that was available to you, and you're on stage singing cans, cans, yep. cans, cans, cans. Yep. Were you homeless? I was. I. I think. I think so. I think yeah. it was. I didn't. I don't know why I went on stage. I think they were just like it was like a hero's journey type thing, where it was like this group of kids wandering around. Uh-huh. And yeah, I was just like a homeless guy who liked cans. And Eric was playing so fast. That like I was doing the verse, and I realized I can't keep up with it. And so yeah, I just started singing cans, cans, cans. Yeah. yeah. That was that. Yep. That's still one of my favorite numbers. We were just talking about that the other day at Allie Gordon's birthday. Mm-hmm. We were talking about our favorite numbers. and yeah, That was so good. It's very dumb, and you wouldn't know that I'd actually done homework, and I'm not just some sort of idiot <laughs> <laughs> yelling cans on stage. 
Um, before I forget, I wanted to talk about a specific like character mm-hmm. that I'm realizing that I'm very interested in in playing now. So you know, you've got your leading man, you've got your ingenue, you've got your villain, but like the woman scorned, I'm very interested okay. in right now. So specifically, I was thinking about. Just like any character who I feel like comes on in the first act and it's like, blah, 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 blah. It's like she's got a reputation or like she's got a lot of power. We we like the way she looks. And then in the second act, it's like the makeup comes off. And it's like we realize that she's the woman scorned or like he picked the little ingenue and left her behind mm-hmm. again. Like that kind of a thing. Those are usually like more gravelly, smokier songs, older, curvier women. Right. I, I think a lot of the song, and I'm, I, I'm like racking my brain for the character name, but the song, Here's the Ladies Who Lunch from Oh, Company, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a perfect example of the song of, like to me, the woman scorned. And it's not like she burns the place down. She just has a private moment. And like I would love more of that in act two musical improv. Mm-hmm. Just like I mean, the other thing that sucks so hard is that we usually get twenty five minutes to do it. Right. Oh, there's so much more we need to do. There's so much more. <laughs> like when Rumble Teaser gets a, a an hour long slot at the Beast or even at Chelsea, mm-hmm. it's just like okay, let's go, let's yeah. go, and you could go for two more hours. Do you guys take a break in between, or do you just no. go straight? That's great. Yeah, an hour long straight through. Or 45, depending on. With that woman scorn song, that's also a great... So much of what we, what I love seeing in improv is when every character is a full character. Mm-hmm. And those songs feel like that, oh, this person just had that one song in this musical or two, whatever. Mm-hmm. But you know them so entirely for that reason. Yes. And then the rest of the show, you're looking at them knowing, feeling every reaction mm-hmm. of that's why they're doing that. Yeah. Joanne. I think her name is Joanne. Sorry. Okay. It was, was going to kill me if yeah, I didn't sure. think of that character's name. Uh, are there any other what, any other examples you can think of of like that type of thing? Oh, gosh. Um, so like Reno Sweeney, in a way, from Anything Goes. Okay. She sings Blow, Gabriel Blow, the big uh, okay. uh, act one closing dancey number. Um, I think that's act one closing. It's been a while since I've seen that one. But like she, even in a way, she's like this, she's abroad. Mm-hmm. And then at the end, it's like, oh, she has a heart, like, and she can be affected. Right. Or um, this is such a bad example, but I I secretly love Frank Wildhorn stuff. So the Jekyll and Hyde musical that okay. Hasselhoff was in, that's so, so bad. The songs for women are beautiful. And there's a character, there's like the little ingenue who is Emma, and she like ends up being the person that, you know, Jekyll or which one's the good one? Uh, Dr. Jekyll. Dr. Yes. Jekyll is supposed to marry her. Right. And then there's like. What a bad name for a good person. I know. That's why I was doubting it, because I know it's Hyde yeah. is the bad one because he's hiding and okay, he's right. hide or whatever. That's the that's the thing I use in my head, but Jekyll also sounds equally yeah. terrible. It's like if that were a Star Wars character, you'd go, "Oh, he's it's he's bad. the evil guy." Yeah, he's for sure. I don't even need to see his CGI'd weird like <laughs> eight tentacles coming off of his face to know that he's a bad yeah. guy. But and then there's like the underground prostitute uh, named Lucy, who is like that Hyde goes and like mm-hmm. hangs out with and stuff. He. Or, or she, uh, in the second act, they have this, like, beautiful duet called In His Eyes. And, yeah, Lucy's got all the good numbers because mm-hmm. she's the woman left behind. She's the woman left in the gutter. She's the woman who's not worthy. And she's got, like, these just, like, incredible songs that she gets to sing about 
about just that. And mm-hmm. like, there's fodder on that for days. You can yeah. sing about that feeling until the cows come home. Yeah. Anyone feeling left behind. That's a great character. And it's such a bad example. <laughs> but no, but it. All I've seen of, of Jekyll and Hyde was, I think, the closing number with mm-hmm. the, the, and it's so bad. Mm-hmm. It's it's bad in all the ways that when people say I don't like musicals, mm, it's like it. that's what they're picturing. Yeah, yeah, exactly, totally. <laughs> Any of those characters though that feel that real mm-hmm. with that little bit, that's especially in musical improv, I think you get that more because you get that like very personal, hey, I'm addressing, I'm not addressing the audience, but I'm essentially addressing the audience and saying, hey, this is how I feel. Mm-hmm. This is that. Mm-hmm. That was Jessica. Now here's Ashley. What about form overall? So how do you guys think of form? Uh, let's start with Baby Wants Candy. With, sure. So do you guys have like more or less like a set We don't. We don't at all, actually. What we know is that we're going to have an opening number. We know that that's always going to happen. That opening number can take so many different shapes and forms. We have a a standard kind of form for openings, but even that isn't always the, the same. Usually they start with a chorus, which is different than written scripted musicals Mm -hmm. but the reason for that is they start with a chorus and then everyone repeats that chorus so that when it comes back we can all join in and it's a big full thing and then from there it has has a pretty standard verse chorus structure but a lot of times sometimes it'll just start with a verse someone will start with a verse we did one last week that was was it last week or two weeks ago that was so unusual it just started with someone going oh no and then different people. So it was like, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no. It was like different people right. popping out and saying, oh, no. And that was sort of the chorus. It, it sort of morphed. I don't remember really if there was a chorus beyond that. But that was a really unusual one. And that's part of what's really fun. So if somebody is doing a verse rather than a chorus, is just everybody uh, everybody else on the team just making the decision, I don't think this is a chorus. Yes. We're not going to jump in. Yes. And the way you know that is choruses tend to not be too, too wordy because you're trying to get everyone to immediately be able to sing it. Right. (laughs) So choruses tend to have a lot of repetition in them. Sometimes they might have like a third or fourth line that's longer, that's more wordy, in which a lot of times the whole company doesn't join on that number, on that line. They'll just ooh or something because it's like, oh, we don't know what they said. And that line might change every time the chorus comes back. Uh, a lot of times it's like a joke line or something. But yeah, if it doesn't have a ton of repetition, we pretty much know uh, that's a verse. And so the chorus is coming at the end of this verse. Gotcha. But even if that if the chorus comes after a verse in the opening, we'll repeat it. Mm-hmm. Never again will we do that, really. Uh, maybe in the closing, but not in any of the two-person or even group songs do mm-hmm. we really ever do that again. Only in that one do we know we're going to do it. Right. And then from there, we're really just telling a story and so we know that in the first scene or two we want to see a protagonist we don't always have an antagonist sometimes we do and sometimes we don't but basically what we're trying to do is from the back line steer the plot so make choices whatever comes out of the opening make a choice about oh what do we think this world is or this show is and, and get that happening in the first or second scene. And then whatever happens in that first scene, okay, if this is a protagonist scene, what do they want? And what can I do to either help them get that or stand in the way of them getting it? And so you make that choice on the back line. And then when you come out, you try to lead with that choice. And then don't worry about plot again in the scene. Just improvise. Because if you are playing plot, 
the improv becomes just garbage. And the mm-hmm. plot is generally not that good. If you can just make one plot move and let the scene be the scene, as we go along, if everyone's doing that and thinking about it, the plot tends to go much better. Right. So if, whatever, you have the protagonist who knows he needs $100 to buy a bouquet of flowers or yeah. something, <laughs> whatever. Yes. So then second scene, right off the bat, it's going to be the florist burned down or something like that. Or, sure. or, what, or, or whatever. like, old, you know, old man tulips has decided to right. raise the prices of, of flowers to right. $1,000 each so that no one can have them but him or whatever. Like, you know, if we're going to have an right. antagonist, maybe they're going to, you know, make it impossible right. for his dream to be a reality. Rather than having old man tulips come out, <laughs> introduce that he owns all the tulips, blah, blah, and like do all exactly. of that. And then hope that by the end of the song, it's... It's a hundred. It's three thousand dollars. Right. Or We're just gonna start with. Oh, this guy's evil, and he doesn't want people to have flowers. And here's how. And then the scene we're gonna find out, like, oh, because I want to be the only suitor in town who right. can give flowers. Like, right. we maybe that's the song, and like yeah. that's his whole want is that he wants to be seen as the only romantic guy in town. So he made the flowers impossible to buy. And this is and a great musical. This by the is way, great, and we should write it. <laughs> But one difference that in the way that you pitched that second beat was it was very it was like you had a character. I was just like, here's a plot thing. Here's a th- an external thing that happened, right? Yeah. We don't. We didn't know who I was. <laughs> but like, and you, I mean, the people listening to this couldn't see it. But you were doing the like snidely whiplash mustache, mustache. To, right? <laughs> yeah. Which is so easy or so fun to jump into those yeah. like cliches and tropes and musical improv. Oh, totally. Yeah. Those those things are really fun, and that's part of what's so fun about like not being afraid to make big choices. Because you can. You can get away with it. We're in a medium that we start singing (laughs) in the middle of what we're doing. So, like, you kind of can't be too big to an extent. I mean, you can be. Like, you don't want to be, like, make the audience go, like, all right, we get it. (laughs) But you can't make too big of a choice in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. If you're coaching a musical improv team and you wanted to give them, let's say, like, different, like, training wheelish versions of overall shows yeah that way and that they could then start to break away from as necessary mm-hmm. what would be one of those or a couple of those kind of training wheels versions uh you mean like a structure yeah. in a way yeah. yeah i would say like opening number where you establish the world that you're in first scene protagonist second scene antagonist third scene the either the protagonist and antagonist come together in some kind of way or the protagonist butts up against something that the antagonist has set up. So maybe okay. not. we don't necessarily see the character, but we see that the flower shop, all the prices right. have gone up in, in our previous example. Then the fourth scene, we see some kind of beginning of resolution of the conflict or moves towards fixing it or, or towards making it worse even. Mm-hmm. And then a fifth scene that's like a wrap-up. This is if they were doing like a 20 sure. to 25, 25 probably minute show. Five scenes would probably be 25 yeah. at least, maybe 30 with songs. Each of those scenes had a pretty direct like just pointing just to that next scene plot-wise, yeah. right? So it was protagonist, yeah. right away antagonist, right away third scene we see the antagonist. His plan in motion in some way, right? So it's yeah. not just like we're eventually going to see it. And that's... That has evolved over the time that I've been in Baby. Mm-hmm. I think like a lot of times it used to be a little more spread out and then try and bring all the threads back together, a little more heraldy, I guess. Mm-hmm. 
what we what we discovered was if we do a lot of the heavy lifting and our shows are an hour. Sure. So if we do a lot of the heavy lifting early, we can sort of screw around in the later half and still have this plot thing that set, have this skeleton of a plot set up mm-hmm. so that we can play within that as opposed to sort of like setting one thing out and then having a bunch of wacky stuff happen and then like try and clean everything up right. to make it feel like a relatively satisfying ending. It's sort of like eating your vegetables and then having dessert right. is what I think of it as. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, although I enjoy the front, front part too, but yeah, that we don't really have to stray too far and that if you have a protagonist, you're going to see them a lot. Mm-hmm. And you're going to see it. You're not going to see him in the first scene and then not until the fifth scene. You're going to see him again, probably by the third scene, at least by the fourth scene. Are, are there any other kind of like training wheels ish structures other than that that you might give to like maybe a team that's been doing it for a year or two? This isn't a structure thing necessarily, but it's more like don't be afraid to make it super simple. Mm-hmm. So one exercise I'll do with people is have them. I'll give them a fairy tale and I'm like, I want to see the musical version of this. It can stray from the original fairy tale. The ending can be different. Don't worry about it being perfectly accurate, but you're starting from a place where in theory, everyone knows the story. And a lot of times I won't even make sure if they all know it, depending on where they are Mm -hmm. level wise. But like if four out of five people know the story, let's see what happens. If us telling it on our feet, not refreshing our memories of it, and mm-hmm. and how do we break it down? And usually it is very linear. <laughs> like they just go from like, oh, Goldilocks is wandering in the woods and she sees a house, you know, and right. like, uh, but then she stops and picks some flowers. Then we see the bears in the house and they're finishing their meal, rushing out the door, not finishing their oatmeal or whatever. <laughs> is it oatmeal? Porridge, porridge, porridge which yeah, is yeah. essentially oatmeal. Uh, right? Yeah. It's like old timey oatmeal. Yeah. You know, they tend to like fall into that pattern almost anyway. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, okay. We're doing the same thing. We just don't know the story yet. (laughs) Um, So it's a good way for them to sort of feel, oh, yeah, this is in my bones, like Mm -hmm. telling this kind of story. Similarly to how you mentioned the same thing with songs of like we know roughly the structure of songs. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, we work a lot on song structure when you're first learning Mm -hmm. and it's really helpful. But then just like with story you can break it. You know, it's, it's just like with all of this stuff, you learn these things and you learn them a little bit rigidly so that then when you choose to change it up, it's a choice and not a, well, I don't know how to do it. And so these songs just go on and on and on and never end. And we don't, they don't have a hook and there's no like thing that makes them feel like a real song. Mm -hmm. And that those still happen. They certainly happen in magic to do, which is the other group I'm in here and baby. Uh, and they definitely happen, but, you're usually like, eh, that would have been better if it had something in it. Right. <laughs> something to come back to. So if you have an hour-long show, yeah. do you find that you have to give yourself any new ways of remembering things? Because like, for me, for musical stuff, I can never remember a melody. So like, when we come back to it, it's like, if we close, You mean like a reprise kind yeah, of thing? Yeah, exactly. Oh. It's like, well, fuck. I hope I, if I say the couple, <laughs> first couple of words, the rest of my team remembers it or somebody else does it because I'm not going to I remember. don't have great ways of remembering it. And a lot of times it'll be a thing where it's like we're getting to the end and we're maybe going to reprise the opening. And I'm like, crap, what were the words? What were the words? And just hoping someone else gets it. And sometimes it's like I'll get a piece of it or something or I'll just repurpose right. it in some way where I'm like, well, I remember it was something like, once upon a nightmare or whatever. Like, right. you know, I'll, I remember there was a once upon in there and now based on what happened in this, I'll just change it and mm-hmm. it'll seem like 
because I'm so smart. Right. And really, it's like, I don't remember what the beginning was. <laughs> no, I wish I had a great tip for that. I mean, you know, some of it is just being really present and paying attention when you're doing it and not thinking ahead. Like, those are the times when I when I know I've, like, really, like, owned it. Also, physicality. Actually, there there is one. If you have a physicality with the words, with the opening in particular, or really with any song, but if you know that like every time the chorus happened, we all did our arm, like spread our Mm -hmm. arms out and then put them above our heads and waved them, that physical connection to the words will absolutely spark you. When you do it again, you'll be like, oh, yes, I know exactly what it is. It, It makes it easier to remember. Right. I don't know why. That was Ashley. Here's Jessica. What are some things from musical improv that you feel that you've like taken to normal improv? Oh, singing on stage. I'm all, I, honestly, that's so... That's not an answer. <laughs> well, I took musical improv. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, took, I took the musical... I, I, I'll sing on stage. Yeah. I, I love to sing on stage. I don't need accompaniment. And, yeah. I'll, and I'll be the person I am willing to lay down the track and I will sing the song. And if that helps you feel more comfortable singing a song, like... Group games are just, oh, they're ripe for singing a song. Or I think, or going back to it, bringing a villain. I I feel much more comfortable initiating a strong character and then being able to justify through the lens of the behavior of that character. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm all about behavior. That's, I have a harder time pulling from premise. I can, and I work at it, but it's it's definitely a muscle for me that has to be constantly worked. And I mm-hmm. understand that, and that's great. But pulling from a, the just natural behavior of a character is a lot easier for me. Right. And I think that comes from having a degree in musical theater. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, even if I wasn't thinking about game, I was thinking about if this is true, what else is true? Maybe not with that language, but I certainly was in building characters. And that is so much easier for me to implement onto a character than it is onto a premise. So what are some other things that you like stealing from musical improv and putting into normal improv or that have affected how you do normal improv? Ooh. Oh, restating stuff? Yeah. That will never do you wrong. It feels unhip but you're talking to the queen of not cool. Like, it's fine to be... I mean, on stage, anyway, I think I'm a pretty cool person, but on stage, I am down to be not cool. And it's like, oh, you like paper bags too much? Like, I'm fine with that. Mm -hmm. Maybe, you know, a little more earnestly than how that probably sounded. But I just restate. If you think it's unusual, restate it, restate it, restate it, restate it, restate it. Because when we sing it, that's all we do is restate it. So why can't we just restate it? Just being a little more heavy-handed with what you think is going on. I'm not always successful with that because I, I think that my instinct is I want this to p- appear more magical for the audience, and I want I want to be hipper than that. I sure. want to be, as an improviser, I've been doing this for a while, and I want to be better than that. And it's like, no, being better than that would mean restating it 20 times. Right. Being humble enough to not look cool on stage is what makes, I think, very good <laughs> improvisers. I agree. Yeah, Absolutely. Also thinking again with the like how musical improv, how much of that is like the restating it. So much of the forms that exist in musicals are like the basic things that we use as far as like framing or even like leading into a song when like another character is like, Mm -hmm. but why are you so sad? It's like Mm -hmm. they're very earnestly like labeling this thing or the person is stating this. This is how I feel. Mm -hmm. We have to do that work of this is what is important. Yes. Or, hey, 
it looks like this is important to you. Yes. You want to talk about it? Yeah. And if you don't, great. Well, we'll steer away from it. But hopefully that was our unusual thing yeah. or, you know, our justification of something. And yeah, that's exactly how a song begins. So mm-hmm. you got to lay that groundwork before a song can start. Because hearing three minutes of an I want song, when we heard someone kind of express that they were kind of maybe a little interested in something, it's going to blow. It's going to suck. Because you didn't earn it. Right. You didn't earn the song, and you got to earn the song. You got you to gotta earn the game. Mm-hmm. You got to earn your game. With the subtlety aspect, people want that so much to like not just come out and say things. Isn't it instinctual? Because I don't think we're taught. We're never taught that. We, are, we have the opposite hammered into us. Yeah. I think it's because we see, as young improvisers, what we think is subtlety. Mm-hmm. And it's really not. If it's good, it feels subtle, but... Uh, on the stage, it's not subtle. It's probably very, very overt. It's like going back to the different types of musical things. I, as a audience member, might be amazed with, oh, they knew instantly that they were doing this 50s-style carousel, mm-hmm. whatever. But really, you guys as improvisers knew, oh, I'm dropping a breadcrumb here, breadcrumb here. Oh, wait, you're doing this type of character? Oh, you were this, yeah. you know coquettish uh not villager but that style exactly. like small town girl yeah you guys knew instantly because you were being unsubtle for you and in the way you guys have made this like semaphore flag language of hey i'm moving here i'm moving here i'm moving doing here. the homework yeah. yeah doing the homework uh, but even doing the homework doesn't afford you the opportunity to be too coy like yeah. doing the homework just allows you to all have the same language yeah it doesn't all disappear, and it's like, oh, now we're all instinctually, we can read each other's minds. Great, 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 great. But yeah, it's so funny how we have to just beat that out of ourselves, the desire to be coy, Mm -hmm. the desire to be just a little bit cooler on stage than we ever have the right to be. And I think that even the best, yeah, you're right, it's it's laying down breadcrumbs, that's what we're doing. It's all along the way. Mm -hmm. It's a little bit like having a conversation with someone and expecting to be able to instantly have an inside joke. Yeah. Yeah. It's like just have the normal conversation and then you can start switching gears naturally or whatever or having those like weird, oh, and then like launching to that inside joke and then coming back. We even with friends, we like build back into that. If it's someone you've known for years, you don't instantly like, hey, too much pie. Am I right? Yeah. You ask the questions. You find out how they're doing. You like gauge their energy for that day. Like you figure it all out. You do all of the things you need to do before you can immediately jump back into having spent, you know, a whole summer at camp together. Right. That was Jessica. Here's Ashley. She and I had been talking about teaching non-musical improv. Let's say I have a practice group and I said, could you come in and just do like a one-off workshop on something that you love? What would that be? Ooh, it would be on sticking with what you start with at the very beginning of the scene. So, like, I have an exercise I do where I I make people do a scene, and it's maybe, like, I mean, it's anywhere from 15 to 30 seconds long. It's less than 10 lines total. And then we'd go back and just talk about all the things that those lines implicated, like, Mm -hmm. about, like, well, what kind of person would say that? Or, like... Why, uh, if you have that reaction, what does that tell you about your relationship with this person? All these like teensy, teensy little micro mm-hmm. moments. And then I'm like, okay, continue the scene, keeping as many of those things in mind as you can. And really just focus, making you listen and notice what you do at the top of a scene and what, and what the other person does at the top of a scene in a really intensely focused way so that 
because a lot of times I feel like the beginnings of scenes are sort of people like treading water until the scene starts right. as though the scene didn't start when they started talking. And so it's trying to get people like as invested from the first second they step out as they are when once they know what the game is. Right. Like as opposed to like, oh, this this whole portion of the scene is just searching for the game. And then right. once I know the game, then I'll play it and I'll be a really good performer and I'll listen and do well. It's really trying to like be like, it's all right there. Like in some small way, the germ of what this is going to turn into happened in the second line. Right. If you were paying attention to the way y'all interacted with right. each other. So that that would be the thing. Because I love that stuff. Because there is so <laughs> much in those lines yeah. that, especially if you're a little scared yeah. and you're waiting for your next line, you don't realize how much gold there is. Yeah, and things that you didn't intend necessarily, right. but just in the moment you said something because you're out there and you're not sure what's going on yet. And the way you reacted, if the other person is really paying attention, can tell them so much. And then if you're really paying attention even to yourself... That's the thing that I find happens the most is that people are just, they don't remember what they said. They are only listening to the other person. And what they're saying is almost like, yeah, yeah, that's a thing that's happening, but I don't, I don't really care. <laughs> and it's like, oh man, you're giving yourself these great gifts. And if your scene partner misses them, if you still notice them, then you can double down on it and give it more. You know, those are the parts to me that are the most neglected parts of scenes that yeah. have it's like all the gold is there yeah. if you just look, you know. And listen, people listening to themselves will sometimes fall by the wayside because they'll get so used to like, oh, I have to oh, well, let my scene <laughs> partner do a thing. And yeah, it yeah. feels like you're being giving by doing it. but You're really not. Yeah. You're not like it, I, I like to think of it sometimes as like as though this scene has already been written. Mm -hmm. And so – what you did at the beginning set up what happens the rest of the way. You know what I mean? If the right. scene had already been written out, the beginning would tell you a lot about where it was going to go. Right. Like if we wrote it. So pay attention <laughs> to that. Right. Like that's don't put pressure on making that something like making that some amazing thing. Mm -hmm. Be natural and in the moment, but like notice it as opposed to just like, Oh, this is just the part we have to get through. Right. <laughs> Which also makes sense connecting it back to kind of musical improv yeah. of often that 10 to 15 lines might be all you get in yeah. the scene. And then the song comes. Yeah. If, and really those times, what that tells me is you just did a great scene because the accompanist was like, wow, I've got a, I get it. I get where this is going and I get what they have to sing about. Um, if you have a good accompanist, sure. because that means they're like, they're not just like, oh, some time has passed. I will play now. They're right. like, li they're trying to get lit up and get mm -hmm. excited about playing a song. And so if you can get that in 15 lines, then you're kicking ass in your scene, which is great. And that's right. the thing that I think is like valuable to people who maybe are not necessarily desiring to do musical improv. But I think the skills that you learn in it are so incredibly applicable to regular improv. And I think once I started doing it, it made a huge difference in the rest of my improv. Mm -hmm. I was a much better improviser after I started doing musical improv. It just gave me a ton more confidence and it showed me how far, you know, I'm a pretty emotional player. And so it like gave me a lot of confidence in that part of me and everyone isn't and right. that's okay that everyone isn't but it told me it showed me the value and that i didn't have to like water that down right and 
play in some other way. You could be an emotional player and get full hilarious scenes out of it. Without, Absolutely. Like, I have to do this. Other right. Like, thing. nope, I should be more subdued. Yeah. And it's like, some people are that way and that's their natural way. And there's nothing, there's really and truly nothing wrong with it. But for me, that's me putting on a show. Like right. that's not me being authentic to what I bring to the table and the, the things that I do best. I think. Yeah. Any other things that you feel like you've taken then from that musical improv helped foster in your, in your, yeah, I think like taking chances. I mean, the first time, and I have a musical background, I have a degree in musical theater, mm-hmm. but I was very scared to do musical improv, very scared, because I was like, oh, what if I'm, this is the thing I should be good at, mm-hmm. <laughs> what right. if, and what if I suck? Because <laughs> like, it was basically like, how, if you're not good at this, then that means you're not good at one piece of this and right. you've devoted a lot of your life to both of these pieces so that's going to be bad <laughs> but once i was able to just sort of go for it and get in there what it told me was i i was playing it way too safe i had pr- I previously had played it way too safe and that like it gave me the permission to really make some big moves and fail bad sometimes like you know really blow it up and do some real crap stuff but in a way that was that felt so much more satisfying than sort of just like staying under the radar not doing anything wrong not getting in trouble you know and I I think I still struggle with that I think I'm a little bit of a rule follower and so I struggle with that sometimes in the times I'll notice sometimes like wow that was such a fun show what was so different about it I'm like oh you just didn't give a fuck you just like like thoughtfully didn't give a fuck i wasn't trying to wreck anything and i wasn't just sort of like going out there like i don't care whatever do what you want but i was a little more like oh here's an idea i'm gonna try it let's Mm -hmm. see what happens and sometimes it pays off and sometimes it doesn't and if it doesn't guess what i never have to do it again right so it's not the end of the world so that was that's been a really incredibly useful thing i think i've gotten out of musical improv Mm -hmm. for sure that was ashley and here's morgan what have you taken from musical improv and then brought into improv in general? I think the idea of, of commitment to emotions is probably the, the most important thing, that you can kind of ride that in a scene. The stereotype of like New York improv back in the day used to be two people standing on a stage just sort of quipping back and forth, not affected by each other. And that can be super funny if the people doing it are really funny, but there is a sort of added element that comes from actually being emotionally affected by things. I guess that's, it's not so much the, the amount of emotion, it's making sure to be affected emotionally by what your scene partner is doing. Mm-hmm. We'll take it to interesting new places. What advice would you give to someone who is maybe an improviser who is thinking about or is about to take a musical improv 101 class? Go for it. Yeah. There's such a, in musical improv, so much of it is just bravery and repetition. Mm-hmm. And there are certain skills there that you will get better at just by failing over and over again, which is the same for, for regular non-musical improv as well, but even more so for musical improv. If you're having trouble, for instance, keeping rhythm with the piano player or remembering what the chorus of your song is or that sort of thing, just do it a hundred times and yeah. you, will, you will be better, right. which is not necessarily something you can say about every aspect of regular improv. You, I mean, you'll be maybe incrementally better, but there's a feeling of mastery with musical improv that it can be really satisfying yeah. where it's just like, I know how to do that now. Yeah. That with regular improv, I feel like sometimes I feel like that about individual skills, but then once I take them for granted, I'll realize, oh, 
I've become bad at that thing right. again. I used to be really good at initiating with premise. Like it was like, oh, and then, oh, wait, I'm not good at that anymore. Yeah. And because uh, I wasn't focusing on it, I forgot about it. Got a little slack with musical improv. It's almost, it's kind of like riding a bike. I think mm-hmm. with some of those skills. And it has more, many of those skills are more concrete and quantifiable. I know when I have forgotten my verse. I know when I'm like wandering and doing five line uh, verses or seven line verses and the uh, the accompanist is, you know, struggling to make it tie at weird points. It's like, oh, I can get better at that and see it rather than like in improv in general, there's so few of those quantifiable, oh, you are doing... Oh, you're do- you're up to three premise initiations per herald or whatever. Like yeah. we don't have that, which is part of what makes regular improv super frustrating, but also really fun. Yeah, it's, I, I, that you it's frustrating that you can just never. Well, from speaking personally, I feel like I will never have a full mastery of of all of the skills, but even like the individual skills. There'll always be a push and pull, two steps forward, one step back, kind yeah. of thing. One step forward, two steps back. A, like a variety, a different, an alternating number of steps forward yes. and back. Yeah. Uh, it's the fitted sheet thing. Like when you're putting a fitted sheet on a mattress and it's like there's always going to be one corner that's going to pop off. Right. And you have to keep. Right. Uh, but it is that in that way, for the same reason, super, super fun if you're mm-hmm. into challenging yourself and uh, bettering yourself in ways that don't actually affect you in the real world. I mean, I'm not going to go work out, but I'm going to spend hours and hours practicing uh, – Straight manning or right. uh, premise initiations. How has that bled into your life in general? Uh, it's it's hard, uh, it's kind of a chicken and the egg kind of thing. Yeah. I, think, I think in general, my personality is very much kind of, uh, oh, we'll figure a way out of this right. or uh, find a way to not to uh, look at this from a different perspective. I think it's, it's sort of uh, hard to say where one starts and the yeah. other begins. I know for improv... For me, at a certain point, because I've been doing improv for 23 years now mm-hmm. in earnest, at a certain point, it stops being stuff that you can just get better at through repetition. And a lot of the skills are things that like your own personality holds you back. Yeah. My own personality holds yeah. me back. Fear of being judged is, is a big one for me and I think for a lot of people. If you're not getting off the back line... It's maybe because of something in your personality at a certain point. If you've been doing it for years and years, mm-hmm. it's one thing if you're just starting and you're like, oh, I, I'm thinking about 100 different things, and so I'm, I'm, I, I'm hesitant to get off the back line. Right. But at a certain point, like if you are a little bit shy as a person or very worried about what other people think of you as a person, you need to kind of push past that in real life as well right. to get better at it in, in improv. I, it's possible that getting better at it in improv would get you better at it in life, but for me, it's really been sort of the reverse. Yeah, it's a little bit. It's like the oh, what do all my bad relationships have in common? Oh, it's me. Right. It's, yeah. 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 That's a hard one. Wow. Oh, I need a second to think about yeah, that. Yeah. Um, need one more second. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Great. 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 Learning musical improv made me a better improviser. I am. At my absolute best, a mediocre singer. But learning how I could still be good at musical improv, despite not being a great singer, made me a better improviser in general. With musical improv, you have to commit hard to very stupid things. You have to commit to singing dumb choruses, to dancing in dumb ways, and reacting to real stupid shit. And commitment is a skill that absolutely transfers to non-musical improv. 
Anytime I feel myself getting in my head about improv, I try to take another musical improv class or do some more musical shows because it gets me out of my head. Once that music starts, you can't really think. You just have to go with it, which gives me the confidence or the reminder that that's all I need to do in any improv. Follow whatever's fun and do so with everything you have. That was episode 17, Musical Improv. Please rate and review the podcast on iTunes, and if you have any feedback for me, please send it to improv at curtisrutherford.com. That's C-U-R-T-I-S-R-E-T-H-E-R-F-O-R-D.com. Also, if you want to support me and help pay for the hosting costs of this podcast, you can do so via my Patreon, patreon.com slash actuallycurtis. Thanks so much to everyone who has already done so, and thanks to everyone who was part of this episode. Ashley Ward. I'm Morgan Phillips. Jessica Morgan. And I'm Curtis Rutherford.